Hello and welcome to the Movie Moolah podcast. I'm your host, Ben Yenny, and this is a podcast where we have serious people on to talk about serious subjects in a sometimes silly way. They're all pretty much related to how to make money in the film industry. And with me today to talk about one facet of that very opaque puzzle is Jess Kane, who is a media entrepreneur currently focusing on management of filmmakers as opposed to an agent for filmmakers. And we'll get more into that difference and everything else later on. But Jess, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am great. It's always good to be here. Um, so yeah, uh, you have a fairly varied background. I think when we met, you were working for Mandy. Yeah. And we were... And we originally met to talk about producing services and helping provide more business assets and intelligence for the Mandy community, correct? Yeah. A few years ago. <laughs> yeah. It's been a minute. Um, the... Was that early pandemic? That was before the pandemic and or start a pandemic. It was mm -hmm. early 2020, so I don't know exactly what month it was, but. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it was right around the same time I was starting Mutiny as well. Um, <laughs> but the. Um, yeah, no, it's. A difficult place to be as a filmmaker in terms of just trying to make money and personally I think a lot of it has to do with uh your network and your community mm -hmm. so just given that you spent at least some time as a community liaison what are some of the biggest things that you see filmmakers have trouble with when it comes uh to finding community the finding community I think one of the things that people struggle with is that when they're starting out, they think that the people they're supposed to be connecting with are the people at the very top. And that's who they're trying to reach out to and trying to connect with instead of reaching out to people that are at the same level as them, someone in a similar playing field, because people that are at the same level as you are the people that you can grow with and build with. The people that are way ahead in their career, they might give you the time day, they might not, depends on the person. But if you find someone that will mentor you, that's great, but odds are they're not the people that you're working on side by side and growing with. And those are the people that you really should be focusing on. And people tend to not realize that. No, a lot of filmmakers and just people in general, honestly, tend to try to get the golden ticket more mm -hmm. than to uh, lay the foundation for a solid career and it is a there are so few people who ever get that golden ticket it's almost like it's a Willy Wonka metaphor um but the uh it is a it's a little uh interesting to me how many filmmakers just expect everything they've been done to be validated immediately by not only their personal community but professionals who can help them make their filmmaking habit a career 
and I didn't have a question in there. That was a no uh, question. Just a um, uh, the, yeah, yeah. So, go ahead. <laughs> Please. Yeah, so I, I um normally I'm not this awkward this quickly. It's it's a um but I guess where I'm trying to go with that is to add on to your point about trying to reach out and get in touch with people who are way ahead of you because you think you'll be able to match them, but that's just not what happens. It happens that you're asking for a favor and most of the time you don't get it. And yeah. Well, on that, that's another mistake that people make is they'll go into something, reach out to people, ask to have a meeting, get on the phone, whatever it might be. And they're asking for something. They are asking for favors. And if this person who is ahead of you in terms of where they are in their career, if you're asking them for a favor, they don't have a reason to do something for you. They don't know you. You're just asking to take from them. So I tend to say, and this is just networking advice in general, lead with giving rather than taking and mm-hmm. don't go into something with purely selfish intentions because it's not going to get you very far, just won't. But that's that's definitely a mistake people make. They ask instead of give, mm-hmm. offer. Don't just try and take. Offer instead of a uh, request and invite also instead of request um always just give as the first thing you do in a new relationship and that relationship is going to last a lot longer yeah and that's relationships in general that's not just in regards to the film industry just if you think about when you meet anyone in any setting or scenario if they're asking you to do something for them up front you're probably not going to have the best get feeling about this person so it's not really any different from meeting someone outside of a film professional relationship. No, I I completely understand. And it took a lot of willpower to not make a Patreon plug right there, specifically for the irony of it. But um, since we actually have you here to talk about management, why don't we start with what the difference between an agent and a manager is? Because I think that gets kind of wonky for basically everyone. Um, yeah. So the way that I tend to describe it, if you ask someone else, they might describe it differently, but the way I describe it is that an agent is more for the now and a manager is more for the future. So an agent is the person that is in the present booking you deals, getting you money in the more short term. That doesn't mean that you're not having them for a long period. You might have the same agent for your entire career, but they are the ones that are getting you that paycheck right now. So securing those deals, getting you booked, et cetera, depending on what aspect of the film industry you're in. Whereas Mm -hmm. a manager is unofficially off the record, might also be negotiating things for you, but I didn't (laughs) say that. (laughs) Uh, But they're looking at long-term strategy. So how are you going to have a sustainable career for years and years to come? So it's not just can we get you booked on a project that'll make you money today? But how is this project going to look for your future career? So on the acting side, it might be, is this the type of character that we want you to be seen as? Uh, On the writing, the literary side, it might be helping them figure out what type of 
script is the next one they should be working on, helping them develop and put that mm -hmm. script together, things like that. I tend to say a manager is kind of a in-between of a crossover between an agent and a therapist because you're doing kind of that agent work of helping them get ahead with their career, but you are a therapist in that you're the one that's also helping them feel better when they're dealing with rejection and navigate difficult times. I there's a so part of the reason why an agent will have a lot of clients and a manager will have less clients typically mm -hmm. is because an agent is focused on getting people jobs and the more jobs that they get for people, the more money they make because agents and managers alike, we work on commission. We don't take money up front, which PS, if an agent or a manager asks you for money up front, that is the number one way to know that it's a scam. Don't do that. Uh, whereas a manager tends to have a smaller client list because it's a lot more personalized and focused. You're getting a lot more one-on-one -on -one time with them. It's a just different relationship, a dynamic, but they both do fit different needs and are both important for different reasons. Some people only have one or the other, but for the most part, people have both because they do serve different functions. That makes sense. Um, I've never been in a position where I need to find an agent or a manager. Um, but my understanding was that the standard agency commission agent commission uh is 10% and the manager commission is 15 is that loosely correct it depends mm -hmm. uh it depends what facet you're referring to as well so that's why there's a lot of it's hard to give a blanket statements and mm -hmm. i a lot of managers or agents tend to operate in one aspect. So they might be just talent, just literary, just et cetera. I'm a little unique in that I've bounced around where I've been. So I've done talent and music. And nowadays I'm primarily on the literary side of things. Mm -hmm. And depending on what aspect you're referring to, it's going to be different percentages. Mm -hmm. But typically, sure, you can say an agent is 10% and a manager might be 15% but a manager might be 10% or some managers take up to 20%. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with managers that take up to 20%, but they're there and they exist yeah. and they happen. Uh, but it really does vary. For example, if someone's a model, an agent, an agency can take a 20% fee instead of a 10% fee that an actor would take. There's a lot of variation with it, but if you, let's say SAG specifically, if someone can't, take 20% mm -hmm. that there's, there's rules and regulations once you're part of unions and guilds and things like that. But sure. In simple yeah. terms, you can say an agent's usually around 10% and a manager is usually 10 to 15 or on the high end up to 20. That makes sense. I mean, like I've spent a lot more time in sales and distribution. Um, can you hear my dog by the way? Nope. Okay. That's good. Um, the, I've spent a lot of time in the sales and distribution end of things and the standard sales agency commission is anywhere between 20 and on the high end 30. And you probably shouldn't sign it if it's 30 for the sales agency, unless they're actually providing you something up front. If they are actually providing you some degree of pre-sale or something like that, their 30% can be justified 
but it's a uh, generally a bit of a at least yellow flag when you're looking at it. So I would look at the range of commissions for a uh, manager somewhere in the same general ballpark. Um, is that at least that's how I'd translate it? And you can correct me if I'm wrong or user or it's, yeah. It's it's and it depends. Mm-hmm. because yes it's for example with actors part of sag you mm. cannot have an agent be charging you 20 percent commission yeah but I mean, if you're a musician and i know that most of your audience is film people but if you're a musician that can be considered normal and be completely fine so that's a lot. <laughs> so it's always like it depends what area and avenue you're looking at I'd say the agent fee is a lot more standardized and the manager fee is a lot more variable. Mm -hmm. And there are some, I'd say a lot of managers have across the board, they charge X percent and whatever Mm -hmm. they, whatever they do is what they do. Uh, I thought there were some issues with the management model. So I do things very untraditionally. So myself personally, I do different percentages of commission depending on the client it is not the same across the board mm-hmm. because i don't feel like it's always fair to do the same amount of commission across the board yeah i can uh understand that and i think some level of variance in these sorts of commissions just frankly makes sense um the uh before we get into how you actually attract a manager mm-hmm. um I do want to ask, uh, in your opinion, uh, what's the difference between a manager and a coach? You're going to need to clarify what a coach. (laughs) Um, So I've had, I have one friend who's a coach um, who is who does a lot of the same tasks as management, helping keep filmmakers on track, helping them meet the next major career milestone and helping them helping even, even helping guide them through fundraising or anything. And sometimes distribution, things like that, which are all, and more than anything, she does say that she is kind of a therapist, which is what made me think of it. But I I suppose the biggest difference that I can see just off the top of my head is that she charges up front and she does not take a commission. And that would be a uh, very big difference in model. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So when you first started speaking, I had one answer. And then as you continued, it shifted what my answer (laughs) is. So as you continued speaking, that sounds a little more like a consultant for a project like a film consultant which is something that when we met I was doing right Mm -hmm. like before doing before transitioning into the literary management side of stuff I was doing consulting for projects right and that's something that you can hire someone for a film and do that uh might be an unpopular opinion. This probably won't help me uh, make friends. I apologize to your friend because this this is not the most positive uh, view that I'm going to give of coach. Mm-hmm. 
quote unquote. But if you're hiring someone for more the side of helping you with your career, not for a film project, that's different. You hire a coach, hire a consultant, you can do that. But if it's like, how do I strategize my career as a writer, as a director, as an actor, something like that? I think that, and this isn't everyone, but I think there are a lot of coaches out there mm-hmm. that take advantage of people that just aren't there where yeah. they need to be in their career to get a manager. And that doesn't mean everyone out there is like that, but I just know of coaches that take advantage of that. Yeah, I think we all do. I mean, I'm still probably best known as a producer's rep, and that's a that's that's a black mark on your resume in the industry in most places. But I try to do things in an ethical way, and I never took money up front for brokering. I did consult on projects that required yeah. Business. And but, for me, it's like, I feel a lot more comfortable if it's like a project-based thing or that. Yeah. Um, there are, sometimes you do work with, with talent. I use the term talent as a broad term mm-hmm. uh, and, and help them strategize things and they want to pay you and they offer to pay you. And I think that if they're reaching out to you and offering to pay you, that's mm-hmm. one thing, but I don't like the people that go and like seek it out and are like this is what I do Um, yeah no I understand and my (laughs) friend here look I I I have a similar opinion of coaches um in general this particular friend has helped 20 plus filmmakers make their first feature so I feel like she does it more on a project basis that yeah bleeds into more of a sort of management level but I don't think there are some managers that can be yeah. It's it's not really talked about and discussed, but technically it happens that they can be hired to help them and like hire them as a coach, as a consultant, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But the harsh reality of it is if you are hiring someone to do those services, it's probably because you're not where you need to be in your career to get a manager. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, and I think that's kind of a difficult pill to swallow for a lot of filmmakers because. So I'm telling a friend's story here. Um, rejection is part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what facet of the film industry or any creative industry you're in, you have to get used to rejection. And there was one time that my friend was at the American film market. Mm-hmm. and he was in one of the they were called the dungeon rooms they were just like tiny hotel rooms shared by two companies with a cubicle wall between them um and he was in a meeting with one company that had just started and just as this company as he started that meeting the guy next to them got a pass on his project and he stood up screaming, uh, you'll regret this. You will see my name in lights. And then I believe he was escorted out. Um, maybe not by security, but by some of another sales agent. And that tanked my friend's meeting. But it was that sort of 
mindset, I guess, or immaturity might be a better way of putting it. Um, and inability to handle rejection is something that I think everybody who's been on the other side of that table has dealt with. And it's the exact same sort of thing. We're always a little afraid to say, yeah, you're not ready for pick a service yet. Um, have you ever had any just awful rejection issues? I don't know if it's awful rejection issues like that, because <laughs> I feel like I've always kind of had a grasp on the fact that people are going to reject you, but that doesn't mean that you're not amazing and incredible and do great work. Yeah. It's, I mean, entrepreneurship, I put together my first business plan when I was 12. I've, I started very young <laughs> learning how to, how to navigate business waters. Uh, I know that when I started producing, it was difficult to get people to want to take a chance on me because when you're new, you don't have all of the credits behind you that mm -hmm. someone else might have. But I kind of adapt this mindset that if I was meant to work with those people, I will work with them. And if they don't want to work with me, then that's not the kind of person I want to work with anyway. I want to work with someone that does see what I could bring to the table and what I offer. Mm -hmm. And when I started doing management, I would be very transparent and upfront with people when I try to sign them and say, Hey, uh, I'm not as experienced as X, Y, Z person, but I will fight for you and I will work hard. And this is what I bring to the table. This is my mindset. This is my values, et cetera, et cetera. And if that aligned with them, great. And if it didn't, then it wasn't the right fit. And I think that that's a big thing when dealing with rejection is adapting that mindset that it just wasn't the right fit. And it doesn't mean that you aren't great and amazing mm -hmm. at what you do. Now, I think there's a little variation. If you are a screenwriter, for example, if somebody says that they don't like your script, well, one, that could just be their opinion because mm -hmm. a script can have a hundred rejections and it only takes that one yes to say, yes, let's green light this. Let's make this happen. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad script, but typically a good script's a good script. And yeah. it's hard to argue if against that for the acting side with rejection, that's just something you're going to get all the time, even if you are incredible. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's because of a reason that is completely out of your control. Uh, for example, you might be auditioning for a role. They might have loved you, but the person that you would be starring alongside was too tall or too short or they what things like that, things that you're never going to know the reason why, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your skills. So I think that's also another thing is realizing that just because you are quote unquote rejected doesn't mean that they're rejecting your skill set and your ability. It just means it's not right at this time for that project. And that's also leads to another important thing of the way that you handle a situation and handle that rejection matters a lot because if mm -hmm. it's a scenario where somebody did think that you were talented and it just wasn't the right fit right now, then how you respond is going to leave an impact and leave a mark. If they thought you were talented and then you blow up in their face and say, you're going to regret this. Well, even if they liked you now, they have no interest in working with you in the future. Whereas if you were somebody who they really enjoyed, but it wasn't the right fit and you handle it with poise and grace and 
have good manners and are a pleasant experience for them, that doesn't mean they won't reach out down the road and think of you and keep you in mind. For example, in casting, that happens all the time where a casting director might be, that person was amazing. I'm going to like mentally flag them or if they have a system flag them because they might be someone I want to bring in in the future. That happens. Mm -hmm. So just because you're turned down does not mean that you aren't valued, that you aren't talented. And yeah, there's my answer. Yeah, I know that is a very valuable answer, although it was not the question I was trying to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I realized that I just kind of went on tangent of other stuff, Um, (laughs) but no, I mean, getting rejection. I, I guess I just, I changed the way that I see rejection. So in my mind, it's not rejection. So it's not. Yeah. I understand entirely. And it was, like I said, it was a very good and valuable answer. I was honestly looking for some tea on if, when you've rejected somebody and uh, if uh, there's any, entertaining stories around that. Oh, entertaining stories? Yes. Mm, I don't have a, you're going to regret this and yelling. (laughs) I don't have any of those that I feel comfortable talking about, let's say. Um, I've had people say that they're going to be doing really great things and I'm going to wish that I signed them, not yelling or anything, just yeah. Just they're like, you're going to wish that you signed me. And those are people that now you can recognize their names and, but I, do I regret not signing them? Not at all. Because the reason I didn't sign them in those scenarios had nothing to do with their talent. It had to do with them as a person. I didn't think that them as a human was someone I wanted to work with. And if that's the type yeah. of person that's going to come is going to say like, you're going to wish you signed me. Okay. Then you're probably not who I want to work with. No, they you were all because them. of them as a human. None of, the only people that reacted negatively were, it wasn't people that it had anything to do with their talent. That makes sense. I mean, like, we as sales agents and distributors always all kind of know that there are certain problem filmmakers out there. We all talk. So if you don't want to burn more than one bridge, you got to be really careful. And, um, yeah, that's the big thing there. What if, so you're a lit agent, so let's, or sorry, excuse me, lit manager. (laughs) Um, see, everybody does it. Um, the, uh, lit manager, uh, what would a writer, um, what would you look for in a writer and what can a writer do to uh, go about securing themselves a manager such as yourself? Okay, so let's answer the second part first of mm-hmm. how a writer would get a manager. Yeah. So first I need to give the caveat that there is not just one way to do things in the film industry for any aspect of the film industry. There is pretty much always an exception. So just because I'm like, this is traditionally what you do doesn't mean that you can't do it another way. Mm-hmm. But typically, traditionally, first of all, you're going to, this might sound obvious, but you're going to want to write scripts. And I mean several scripts. And the reason I feel like that's worth noting is because there are plenty of screenwriters out there that they write one script or maybe two scripts. 
and think now I'm ready to get a manager or now I'm ready to get an agent. That's not true because if you are somebody looking for representation, regardless of if it's a manager or an agent, they need to sell you. And if you don't have enough scripts, they don't have things to sell you on, sell for you. And if you only have one script, it also might've been a fluke script that one script might've been really good because that has happened where there's been a writer that writes a really amazing script, but none of the others even have semblance of it. And sure, a manager helps develop scripts, but it was kind of like, are you sure that you wrote this one script that was really good and this wasn't somebody else? Um, and I'm sure it was them that wrote it, but there mm -hmm. are fluke instances that they happen to write one good script. So write lots of scripts. Then what you're going to do is you're going to need to get your work out there. And the main way that happens is entering festivals and contests. And when I say that, I don't mean just entering any festival and contest under the sun. It doesn't do anything for you besides cost you money because mm -hmm. you spend money when you enter scripts into contests. There are only a handful of these festivals, contests, et cetera, that really hold any weight that manager and agent might be looking at. I'd say the number one most credible one out there is the Nichols Fellowship. Mm -hmm. If you want to get signed, that is the best one to make a mark in. Uh, so that's that's the number one, the Nichols. And then there's other ones such as uh, Austin Film Festival, Sundance, um, Slamdance, mm -hmm. things like that. All ones that I know people that have gotten repped from or managers that have found clients from. And you don't need to win these contests or festivals, by the way. Uh, you By being a finalist, you're mm -hmm. a finalist, but you can be a semi-finalist. And it's, again, if you're talking about these top contests and these top competitions, yeah. not just the random town in the middle of nowhere, local 100 festival. I, if you're talking about though, these big ones that are considered to be prestigious, if you're a semi-finalist, great. That's, you don't need to be a finalist is my point there. Yeah. Okay. Then what you're going to do is, yes, there are some agents and managers that might look at those contests to find scripts and find potential new clients, but not everyone. Uh, if you have agents or managers that you are interested in having them rep you, then you can reach out to them and query them and do a query mm -hmm. letter. And I can talk more about query letters in a second. But if you are wanting a rep, but not knowing who to reach out to, you can go on IMDb and look up films that are of a similar style and vein, a similar voice to you that you believe mm -hmm. you might resemble look up who is representing those people those writers and that would be a good place to start of who to reach out to mm -hmm. that said I wouldn't start with the biggest blockbuster films that are out there because odds are those reps are not going to be interested in representing someone that this is going to be their very first manager or agent mm -hmm. so there's there's a little balancing act you have to do there but when you do send a query letter out Regardless of these contests and competitions, if somebody's reaching out to you from it, part of why they're good is because that becomes your subject line that you're sending as an email. You're going to say finalist in the nickels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, good. just 
one quick thing. I know you said yeah. semifinalist helps too. Does quarterfinalist help? Um, it depends who you ask. I think so. Okay. And I say that because I just had this conversation. I was with a few managers, let's mm-hmm. say a month ago. Um, and that was the debate that was happening was specifically about if quarterfinalists mattered or not. I think they matter. Okay. Okay. Obviously, higher you go, the better, logically. Yeah. But I think if you're able to say that you're a quarterfinalist, that's still something that you can put in the subject line of a query email. And that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest reasons why it matters is now when you send an email, you send a query letter out, you're able to put something in the subject line that makes a manager and agent at least have Actually their interest open it. Deep, right? Yeah. Why they should open it because we get query letters all the time from all sorts of people. If you're not giving us a reason to open your email, odds are we're not going to. So putting that directly in the subject line is extremely, extremely important. And then when you're sending these query letters out, never attach a script to it. That is one of the biggest mistakes people make. If you attach a script, that email is automatically being deleted no matter what. Like that agent or manager might've been interested in you. They might've been thrilled to hear from you and it might've been an amazing relationship, but because you attach that script legally, they have to delete it because it's a legal liability. So Mm -hmm. never, ever, ever attach a script. If you're not asked to send a script, do not send a script. Uh, What you're, yeah. And then also keep your email to them short and sweet. That's Mm -hmm. another big mistake people make is they'll send these like paragraphs of this is why I want to be a filmmaker and this is why and this whole life story and let me tell you about all the scripts that I have. And again, agents managers just assume that they're really busy. And if you if they don't have a reason to read your email, they're not going to read your email because we get a ton of random emails constantly. If you want the highest chance of somebody paying attention, it's this is the credential of why you should pay attention. This is the genre. This is I I write stuff in this space, in this space. I have a collection of seven scripts, whatever it is. It's just like, here's these bullet points that someone might care about. Would love, let me know if you want to hear more. I would love to chat further. The other thing is make it as personalized as possible whenever, whenever you can. So if you are reaching out to any agent or manager that you can find the email address of blindly, not going to give you a great chance at getting representation. If you can make something personal to them, now you're increasing your chances. So what I mean by that is if you in your email share some sort of insight that lets the person on the receiving end know, and this is just in general with business, this isn't just for managers or agents, this is if you're trying to get a hold of anyone. If you put something in that email that lets them know, I'm trying to reach you, I'm trying to talk to you, they now have an increased chance of responding to you. So for example, if you know the sports team that somebody likes, for example, I'm Boston sports fan, all Boston sports. And if somebody knows that and they reach out and they say, I'm also a Patriots fan or Red Sox fan, Celtics fan, whatever it is. And like includes that little personal antidote. I now know they did some form of research before reaching out. I now know they didn't just blindly send the same copy and pasted email to everyone. So giving some sort of reason why you want them specifically, or just something that shows you did some research 
that is significantly going to increase your chances of getting a rep. Oh, uh, yeah. The other thing you do, and it's a long send answer, but there's there's a lot of things that go into getting getting a rep. The other thing you can do is you can write short films for the sake of showing, showcasing your ability to tell a story, just a start to end, how it flows, what the dialogue's like, just what your style is, and collaborate with other filmmakers and make those short films to enter into film festivals. And it's, I wouldn't say the easiest way to get a rep, but it's a possibility. I'm just trying to get you to think a little creatively of how you can get your stuff out there because odds are you're not going to have a million dollars in your back pocket to finance a full-length feature film to get out there. Yeah. Uh, also, you're going to want to network and talk to people and chat with people because a lot of times how agents and managers find new people is by referrals. Mm -hmm. So if I'm meeting up with with a friend of mine that I've known for a while that knows my taste that knows what I'm looking for and they say hey there's this writer that has this they have several scripts I've read one of them it's amazing I really think you should read it they're looking for mm -hmm. representation that is going to be far more likely that I read that script that they give me versus a random person reaching out to me that there's no middle connection mm -hmm. so when you're going to anything, network, chat, meet people. You never know who's going to connect you with the right person. That's true. Believe it or not, that's my yeah. short answer. <laughs> I actually do believe it. Um, the uh, It's a complicated and wonky topic. Um, so as a manager, uh, do you represent just screenwriters or do you take authors, novelists, anything of the sort, or? On the literary side specifically, I take screenwriters. Mm -hmm. I've had screenwriters that happen to also be authors, mm -hmm. but it's not like they're an author, right? Screenwriting is their main thing. They also had books. My first ever literary client that I ever signed was a writer, director, and author. Mm-hmm it was a coincidental thing. It wasn't a, that's what I was seeking thing. So technically if it's a, if they're a screenwriter that has books, but not somebody that's just on the side. Right books. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, some, a lot of writers are writer directors. Mm -hmm. so there's that. And um, I used to before going to literary was looking at talent to rep. I don't know if you want me to get into kind of what's due for that, but uh, yes, that was going to be the next one. The only one, the bridge I was going to use between those was, uh, how many of your clients insist on staying in the director's chair for their first outing percentage wise? You mean, how many of the ones that are directors insist that they need to direct their project? Yes, specifically people who have not made, who have not yet sold a script or directed a film. Personally, for my roster, none. <laughs> um, partially because I don't really sign developmental clients. I don't sign people that aren't already... WGA, DGA, all that. 
Um, mm-hmm. But there's exceptions. Like just if any manager says, oh, I'm not looking to sign anyone, they might not actively be looking to sign someone, but if they find someone amazing, they'll sign someone new. And yeah. so my first client that I'd ever signed on, that was a writer director. He referred me to this writing duo that I honestly only took a look at because of who referred them to me. Mm-hmm. And he said they're non-WGA, like pre-WGA, they haven't, they've had stuff optioned. They've never had anything sold, but they're, they're really amazing. You should take a look at them. Uh, I found out down the road that that, that client of mine never actually read their scripts, just like them as humans. <laughs> so that's a fun thing. But when I read the scripts, I did think that they were really, really amazing. And it was mm-hmm. this thing of how have you not had a film made yet? You mm-hmm. guys are the real deal. And so with the exception of them, I don't sign developmental clients, right? Mm-hmm. So there are people that, this isn't their first rodeo. For that writing duo specifically, one of them wants to be a director. The other one does not. One that wants to be a director, they understand how the film industry works because even though they haven't had a script produced, they've been working in the film industry for decades, just on the on-set side. They've been part of crew. So they understand how it works. They understand that they're going to put their trust in me as a manager to navigate with them what the best plan of what the best strategy is to get them to the point where they can be directing. And they know that going out your first bat and saying, I have to be the director on this is going to significantly decrease the Mm. chances that you're going to be selling that script. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, And I've worked with clients who were more developmental stage where we got offers from major networks on stuff, but they would have been required that person leave the chair. And it didn't make sense on all yeah. of this, given what was going yeah. on. So it's a, yeah. I know like with that client specifically, yeah. right? That he has With that client specifically, that. most of the time it's too big an ask. There were extenuating circumstances that are not public. So yeah. And so like, and with my client that hasn't directed yet, but wants to be a director, he has one script that he insists mm-hmm. he wants to be the director on and does mm-hmm. not want to budge at all for that. And so I just pre, pre-strikes pre and all that, I, I said, we're not going out with that script. We're just not going to, that's not going to be the first script of yours we're going to sell because yeah. it'll be easier for us to sell a script that you're not attached to direct and then work on getting you there. And in the meantime, he has been working on his director's reel. And because if you want to be a director, you need to have something to show for it. You're not going to just say you want to be a director and then have someone hire you for a feature film when you haven't even done a short film. Yeah, no, that's incredibly true. Um, And it is also an incredibly different game once the director is tested it's the difficult the degree of difficulty goes down dramatically in terms of financing basically anything if it's even the same ballpark um so you primarily rep writers but you were looking at repping uh, talent. yeah or sorry 
the crew and the actor side or just the uh, more director side? Man managing talent as in actors. Okay. Um, when I was when I was over at Mandy, there was a lot of giving people free advice and uh, which I wasn't supposed to, most of my job was talking with the producers and talking with yeah. production companies, studios, some streamers, film festivals, mm -hmm. film commissioners. It wasn't talking with the filmmakers, but every once in a while it would happen. Or I would get asked to speak at universities. For example, I would give students advice. There were mm -hmm. times like that, that I would give advice and, but, uh, I wasn't representing those filmmakers. I was just giving them advice. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, or more for legal purposes, giving them your opinion and uh, my opinion, your best next steps. That is a good point. Yes. Um, <laughs> educated opinion. So yes. Yeah. Uh, neither of us are lawyers, and nothing we say is ever legal advice. Just keep that in mind. YouTube. Um, but what would a uh, how can an actor stand out? to find a manager yeah and I have a so with an actor an actor that wants to get representation you're going to need a reel because people need to mm -hmm. see your ability to act and to do that you're going to sign up for different sites online where you can get acting jobs and they're going to be small jobs it's not going to be that you're going to sign up for some service and then be cast in the next big blockbuster it's going to be short films and student films and digital shoots and things like that that you're going to be working on. But the point is you're going to be building a reel. You're going to have samples of your work that showcase your acting abilities. Mm -hmm. When you are just starting out, as in you have nothing square one, how are you going to get somebody to book you in your very, very, very first thing? One, if you are a student, take advantage of student films. Two, mm -hmm. if you live near university, see if any of those student films need actors in it because that is an underutilized resource that people don't really turn to but it's a way for you to get footage for real but mm. let's say that you live in the middle of nowhere you need to film something then you can do self-tapes which is what you would do for auditioning for things online in this digital age yeah. but you're you're going to record scenes you're going to find a script or a monologue or whatever it is and you're going to film yourself just to show your ability to act it's better than having nothing is to have something that you're just filming in the style of a self-tape you use that to book these smaller jobs to then build your reel to grow it and as it grows mm -hmm. you're gonna have better and better material and you're going to keep wanting to do that until you get to the point that you are that you're happy and you're proud with your reel, that you think that it showcases your abilities well. When you act in short films, for example, that's something that odds are is gonna go into film festivals and you never know who's mm -hmm. gonna see you from that and you can get representation there. There's gonna be your ability to just network and chat with people. And when you're talking with people, you never know who might say, oh, I you fit a great look for my next project, send your reel over. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of things like that. You're also going to want headshots, mm -hmm. by the way. If you don't have headshots, that's something that you're going to have to get. And you're going to want to get a photographer that specializes in headshots, not just any photographer. Because if you have photos of your face, if they're not in the style of a traditional headshot, 
it'll just look unprofessional next to the people that have professional headshots and you want to look as professional as possible. So you're going to have the headshot, you're going to build that reel. And then it's the same thing, just like writers, where you can send queries out. You can reach out to people and say, hey, insert things here, like we discussed before. Mm -hmm. And that's something where you can attach your reel and your headshots. It's not like writers where you can't attach script. With actors, you, mm -hmm. you can attach a headshot and your reel. I... With that, it's even more important than on the writer side to reach out to people that aren't representing A-list celebrities, okay? Because yeah. whereas a script, a good script is a good script, on the actor side, if you reach out to a manager or an agent that is at one of the top agencies that represents that A-list level talent, you mm -hmm. are going to get forgotten on their roster. Sure, you yeah. might not. But also part of it is because a casting director reaching out to that agent, for example, is reaching out and they're looking to fill maybe the first three spots on a call sheet, those mm -hmm. big names, and that's not you. So whether intentionally or not, you get forgotten and left out because mm -hmm. odds are that rep is not being reached out to by casting to mm -hmm. fill those smaller roles. So you're ideally you're going to want to find a manager or an agent that's maybe a junior manager junior agent that's somebody mm -hmm. that's trying to get their footing themselves because those people will more than likely work a little harder for you because they themselves are trying to prove themselves and make a name for themselves so if you can find the agents and the managers that are starting out when you're starting out it's more likely that they'll look at you but it's more likely that they will fight for you because again they need to grow. They need to make a name for themselves. Yeah. If, young and hungry, basically. Yeah, young and hungry. Young. Um, Which doesn't necessarily mean young. It could be any age. Fair enough. But but yeah. And so that's that's a big aspect. Mm -hmm. In my personal opinion, and this is this part is purely, purely an opinion because I know that other ups and friends don't agree with me on this. This is just for clarity, my opinion. In my personal opinion, for the actor side specifically, I think that getting an agent before a manager can be more beneficial, not always, but in many cases, because an agent is right for the now. They're booking you work. They're booking you projects. Mm -hmm. And if you get an agent that books you work, that books you projects, then you can build your reel to a place where it's professional and impressive and actually showcases your abilities and you can use that leverage to get a manager at a higher level, because mm -hmm. ideally you want a manager that can stick with you throughout your career. Someone that really knows you and understands you and gets you from the start. So I think mm -hmm. waiting out to the point where you can attract a higher level manager can be very beneficial. And mm -hmm. an agent, I'd say, is more likely to take on someone new if they have good headshots and a good reel than a manager is yeah at least in my experience so it's funny that you brought that last part up because that was actually my follow-up question it was going to be uh whether you should get an agent or a manager first and uh yeah. thank you for your for opinion. The actor side that's my personal opinion for the writer yes. side it depends it really depends but i am the opposite i lean more on the getting a manager first Mm -hmm. Because the manager, yes, obviously you need to sell scripts, right? An agent will help you sell yeah. those scripts. But a manager 
will help you develop those scripts a lot more hands-on to make the script to the best it could be, at least the best it could be up until the point of being sold. And then they'll work and normally edit it some more. And they'll also help you navigate and figure out what script you should work on next. And they'll set up general meetings for you. So that way these production companies can get to know you. And so I tend to lean on the get a manager first side for the, when it comes to writers. But it's really what ends up happening for you. There's no right or wrong way. It's not get an agent or manager. It's not going to be a bad thing if you get one first versus the other. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So there's another project I'm working on that I'm kind of stealth on still. So I can't say it publicly. But um, one interesting thing that I've noticed about working with uh on this project in particular is how many of our downline or down credit cast have come from come from the same managers and agents um and i know that's always kind of a thing this was a very big thing for this particular project um is it something that actors should be or writers well less writers um, that actors should be considering um, when seeking an agent or a manager? Yes and no. Um, on one hand, sure. You have the potential of, when you have a bigger agent, a bigger manager, you can have the potential to get in front of people easier mm-hmm. because of those relationships that those bigger names have built. But that doesn't mean that a small boutique management company isn't going to build that relationship as well and get in front of that person mm-hmm. and also be able to put you in the game for it. I People have different mindsets of how you should pick where to go with an agent or a manager. Mm-hmm. I speak on the management side because I'm a manager. In my opinion, again, opinion, I don't think that the size of an agency should be what determines where you go. I think it should be what your relationship with that specific manager is like Mm -hmm. and what your gut feeling tells you. At the end of the day, I always say, trust your gut when it comes to picking a rep. This just goes into general advice that I'd like Mm -hmm. to give to people, regardless of if you are a writer director, actor, musician, a anything that has a manager or an agent. If you are looking for representation, if you don't trust your, if you don't have a good gut feeling when you speak with that person, I don't care how big they are. I don't care who they represent or what they've done for other people. They are probably not the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. This relationship is one that Ideally, is somebody that you're going to have in your life for your entire career, or at least a good portion of it. And it's someone that you should feel comfortable talking to. Part of me getting into management was having friends that were actors that would say that their manager hadn't gotten back to them in two days. And to Mm me, I I was like, but, but they work for you. What do you mean? And they're like, no, 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 it's normal. Um, or they'll have like an issue with something. They're like, I don't want to bother my manager. I don't. And that baffled me because I was like, they work for you. So I need Mm -hmm. anyone listening to this, looking for a rep to remember that your manager and your agent 
works for you, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. So if it's not someone that you feel comfortable talking to and being upfront with about things that you need help with or things on your mind, that's not going to be the most beneficial relationship for you. You need someone that you can talk to. I I mean, I'd imagine that's more important for a manager than an agent, but it's important on either level. Um, Either level, it's remembering that they're working for you. And especially, especially with the manager. And that Mm -hmm. leads me to to like, to the next point with it is don't go into finding a rep with a scarcity mindset, because that is a big Mm -hmm. mistake that people have is they think because a manager or an agent wants them that they should feel grateful and lucky and jump on the opportunity. Just because a manager or an agent wants you does not mean that you have to want them. That's very true. Extremely, extremely important to keep in mind. It's like dating that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, and also, same is true for sales agents. Um, but the uh, well, this has actually been great and a lot of fun. So we're going to move on to the last three questions, which uh, you have to answer them in order because I know you uh, actually listened and know them kind of. Um, so what are your top three favorite movies of all time as it stands right this second now can change in five minutes can change in 30 seconds. Okay. Uh, What are they now? Right now in this moment, I'd say Forrest Gump, Boyhood and Swiss Army Man. I haven't seen Swiss Army Man. I feel like I need to. I've heard about it, but yeah. I've only ever seen it once because I'm afraid that if I watch it again, I won't like it as much. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but from when I saw it the first initial time, I thought mm-hmm. something very special about it. It is very weird. It is very strange. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's from the pitch. I, I can. Yeah, I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, the second question would be. If you go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, um, what would that advice be? And when would you give it to yourself? So have a kind of roundabout answer with this. I think that where we are in our lives, not to get philosophical, but where we are in our lives, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be who we are if we didn't have all of the past experiences that led us here. So I don't think that I would want to change anything that happened Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't have the wisdom that I learned from potentially negative experiences. I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't learn those lessons. So I don't like the idea of going back and changing anything, like giving advice that would lead me in a different way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say, and this is more of a personal thing rather than a ability to help others thing. Personally, I would have gone back to my high school self. And so back in high school, I wrote a book and then I got the copyright for it and then said, okay, I need to get an editor, but that was expensive and cost money. So I got the first round of edits made. I hired someone and then just never went and made the edits or looked at it or did anything with it because in my mind, it was just, I, as a high schooler, don't have the money to 
get this funded where I need it to be. And I didn't want to explore doing self-publishing or anything like that. I wanted it to be something where I had a big publisher behind it so it can get a really big release. And in my mind, this book was amazing and I needed people to read it. And that would only happen with one of the biggest publishers and all that. And I kept telling myself, I'll come back to it when I have the funds available to edit it. And Mm -hmm. to this day, I have not gone back to it, but every single year when it's New Year's Eve and New Year's resolutions, every single year, I'm like, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution to go back and edit that book from forever ago. And it still hasn't happened. So to relate this into advice that can help people, if you're a screenwriter or an author or whatever it is, if you write something and then you think, I'll come back to this later, don't. Ride the momentum. And I don't mean don't take a step away if you need a break. Sure, take a break for your mental health. That's fine. But don't just say, oh, I'll come back to it next year. Mm -hmm. Odds are it'll be hard to go back to it. Ride the momentum of the project that you're working on. And you can thank yourself later because otherwise you might end up years down the road regretting that you didn't go back to it. And then the longer you wait, the harder it is to go back to it. And uh, yeah. That's very true. I keep saying I need to make a third edition of my book and don't know if that's going to happen. Might just be a new book. Um, But that's some really good advice under some caveats. And then the last (laughs) bit, where can people find you and what are you looking for from anybody who might be listening or watching this? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn, the LinkedIn stuff, the backslash it's the Jessica Kane. And what am I looking for? Well, if you happen to be listening and you probably aren't the person listening to this specific episode that I'm trying to reach, but if you happen to be listening and are someone who buys scripts I I have writers with scripts who I would love to have you take a look at them post strike. That is assuming Mm -hmm. you're listening to this when the strike is over. So there that's the main thing. And just because I still have relationships with musicians and such, if you ever want someone to use, to have their project, to, to be part of the score, if you want to have their placement in your film, I also have musicians that are very talented. Mm-hmm. Basically, whatever I can do to help my clients or talented people. So if you're looking to spend money, I have people you can spend money on. <laughs> Don't we all? It yeah. Is, but uh, thank you very much for watching. This, my name is Ben Yenny. I'm the host of the Movie Moolah podcast. If you like this, please hit the like and subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, hit that bell. If you're listening anywhere else, set it to auto download. And please make sure to check out my free independent film resource package, uh, which is full of business resources, including an investment deck template, uh, ebook, white paper, and a whole lot more. See you next week.